Cinema Sit-Down, Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. Episode 221, a review of The King of Comedy. Hosted by Ryan Bull and Tony Christ. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. part of any film is the sit-down afterwards. Richard Losk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down. Welcome to Cinema Sit-Down. I'm one of two hosts. My name is Ryan Bull. Joining me across the table is Tony Christ. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing great today. I'm excited about the movie for we're reviewing today. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, we had some listeners uh, email into the show, and they had said that they wanted to see us do some more classic reviews. Uh, you've always been a big proponent of Robert De Niro, so today we're reviewing uh, The King of Comedy. Uh, you've pointed out numerous times to me that I have this big hole in my um, film-watching history. I, I haven't... I, I've seen some De Niro, but I'm missing some classic. I think I came to you with the question, like, what is the big one that I'm missing? What do I need to go see? And uh, you said that I need to go see the 1983 Martin Scorsese-directed film, The King of Comedy, which stars uh, Robert De Niro as an aspiring stand-up comedian who's obsessed with uh, Jerry Langford, played by Jerry Lewis, as a kind of uh, Johnny Carson-esque figure. Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, definitely one uh, I've never seen it. Probably in college, I was really going through my De Niro movies and trying to catch up and see ones I hadn't seen before. And this is one I like everybody that was in it, uh, especially specifically De Niro, but also Jerry Lewis. So I thought this would be kind of a fun one to watch. Uh, it's also you know it's not a typical De Niro Scorsese partnership movie, so I thought it'd be kind of an interesting take on it. Yeah, they had already partnered for a couple of films before this. Um, the movie came out. It had a budget of $19 million, which is pretty high in the early 1980s. It only ended up making $2.5 million at the box office, so it was considered a failure. But critics over time have kind of come to really recognize some good parts to this film. And um, it's considered maybe a hidden gem, maybe even more highly thought of than that. Uh, so I guess we should get into it. Uh, since you're the one who recommended this movie, you want to start us off? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so as you had said a, a few minutes ago, this is uh, Robert De Niro, plays a character named Rupert Pupkin, which is a great name as well uh, for a character. You know, it's one of those, it can't be a real name, but I'm sure somebody, in, you know, it's based off of somebody's real name somewhere. Uh, he's a wannabe comedian. Uh, he is a guy who, I think he says he's in sales or advertising or something. But what's interesting with the movie is uh, De Niro's character, he slips in and out of reality. And so as you're watching the movie, it's hard to tell because they don't do, it, Scorsese was specific with this where he didn't do like a, a change of the camera lens or like, you know, uh, fading or anything to let you know where uh, the fantasy starts. And so, you know, you, you can't really trust De Niro as a character. You don't know if he's telling the truth or not. He thinks he's doing the right thing, but you never really know. And so he's and he's obsessed with the uh, late night talk show host, uh, like I said, Jerry Langford, played by Jerry Lewis, famous from the Martin and Lewis comedy team, um, which is again different for this point because Jerry Lewis was known as the funny comedian guy with Martin and Lewis, uh, and then like the Naughty Professor and movies like that. So it's interesting to see him play the straight man and De Niro play the comedian, the funny guy. Yeah, and I definitely like seeing Jerry Lewis in this. 
because he didn't make a whole lot of movies after the mid-70s. Uh, he kind of tired of Hollywood and the famous movie, The Day the Clown <laughs> Cried, that's never been released, that really kind of soured him on making movies. And I think he started to doubt his own ability to um, pick good work to um, star in. But yeah, he, he got he's a- really good playing the, the straight man here. Uh, he just has this look of, I, I'm just, I, I want to strangle it. He's constantly flashing people, not just De Niro, but... There's a bit of um, his characters constantly dealing with the cult of celebrity. He can't even walk on the busy streets of New York without being harassed by dozens of Right, and that that's one of my favorite scenes. There's a part when he think he's walks by an old lady, and the old lady's just on a payphone, and she's like, oh my god, it's Jerry. Hey, talk to my son. He goes, I'm sorry, I'm busy. She goes, oh, I hope you get cancer. Which apparently Jerry Lewis said really happened to him because again he's walking from one piece of work to another place to work and he's you know he's got to stop but at some point you got to say I got to go and again I don't know if it's a New York thing but this lady he he a lady yelled at him I hope you get cancer because he wouldn't sign an autograph she was his biggest fan until he says I've got to go yeah and so in that way I think the movie is very timely and and I think yeah. it's still that part still plays well to a modern audience especially with as uh, much as we're obsessed with the culture of celebrity and that's probably one of the last nice things i'll say about the film yeah okay um, um I, you so. had told me when we were uh you know prepping for the show and trying to decide what to do that you thought that this was de niro's best performance and for a guy who probably has been in a hundred movies i thought well that's high praise sure let's do this film what makes you what impresses you so much about de niro's performance in this film I think what impresses me is that he, it's different from anything he had done up to that point where, uh, but he still, De Niro still got that method acted uh, uh, mindset at this point where, um, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a gangster. He's not the godfather. He's not, um, you know, like other uh, Scorsese movies like Mean Streets, Raging Bull, where, you know, he gained the weight, lost the weight. He still gets involved in the character. He learned how to do comedy. I think he did a couple of open mics to try and get some timing done uh he looked he worked with richard belzer so he still had that method acting mindset to this but he um i don't know, i think he plays really well that he's a guy who thinks he's right and he thinks he's a good guy but he gets fed up with being uh lied to because that's a big part in the movie too is that you know jerry's telling him he's, jerry's essentially blowing him off says hey call my people call my secretary she'll set up a meeting which for most people if you go to the meeting and it doesn't happen you'll figure okay that's the end of it but De Niro's character, uh, Rupert Pupkin, thinks, no, he said I have a meeting with him. And he keeps bringing up Jerry's name like he knows Jerry personally. And I think he's a guy who just got frustrated. So he's a bad, he, he can say he's a bad guy in the movie, but he, he knows that he, he thinks he's, he doesn't, he's not a right, in, right in the sense, but he, he thinks he's right, even though he's doing everything wrong from uh, a regular person's point of view of life. Uh, okay, so in his mind, he's not lying. When he says, I "Oh, think... I have a meeting with Jerry," and they go, "No, you don't," and he's like, well, "Yeah, yeah, I do." Right? Because I think because Jerry See, tells I, him. I kind of thought him. I mean, I, I thought of him as delusional, but I also thought he is a bit of a con man himself. Like, yeah, he he, he know he he knows enough angles to take in. Uh, there's a third character in the film, uh, Masha, played by Sandra yeah, Bernhard. Yeah, her first and movie. He takes her money saying that, you know, he'll get a letter to Jerry, and, and he kind of uses her in a variety of ways in the film, which makes me think, oh, this isn't all mental illness. 
like some of this he he has control over and, and that's why like i i never felt any sympathy for this guy I, I just thought oh man he is a loser who just can't take a hint um i was trying to diagnose him mentally and granted i'm not a psychiatrist but he has like a touch of Asperger's. Like he, he's very socially awkward. And there were moments well, watching his performance where I was like, did this movie inform almost all of the Big Bang Theory? Like he, at times he came off very much like Sheldon Cooper. And then right. um, there's also his interactions with his mother. And that's like Howard from the Big Bang Theory you know, yelling at his mom, who we never right. actually see. And I thought, wow, is this, if we didn't have this movie, would we not have had the Big Bang Theory? Then. that's a good point because he also you know again we never see his mom so it's only him talking to his mom you always hear it, and he goes like mom like uh, howard does uh mm-hmm. but then at one point in the movie too he mentions having an apartment where he's got to make rent so it's one of those things like okay is he living in his parents house is his mom is it norman bates where his mom is just in his head you know he's got a whole oh uh, to, he's got a whole tonight show set up in his basement uh and when he's talking sometimes he's on the tonight show with real people sometimes he's talking to the cardboard cutouts yeah and he's staying up all night doing this yeah we, we never see him sleep and they kind of hint like he's worked through the night he, he stays up to see jerry you know he's done taping the tonight show of this film and then yeah he's up all night talking to his cardboard cutouts of liza minnelli and jerry lewis right yeah. uh, and and, th- and that does get to that unreality are we in a fancy or not? Uh, he does fantasize that he's with Jerry Lewis in a restaurant talking to him. And then later on, he goes on a date to the same restaurant. Right. But he's actually at that restaurant then. So yeah, you, you do have to pay attention to what you're watching. I just don't know if, if that works well enough. Because later on, there are definitely some scenes where I was questioning, oh, is this reality? Is this not? Yeah, it would be. you'd have to watch it and see... You know, if it's just him, it's probably fake. But if it's like with the with his wannabe girlfriend, uh, played by his wife at the time, uh, Diane Abbott, uh, maybe that's when it's real. You know, so it's, it's and that's and I think Scorsese did that on purpose, where he doesn't tell you this is fake or real; it's just happening. So I think the idea is it's all real to Rupert. You know, no matter what's going mm-hmm. on. And I think it's not until he gets kicked out of uh, Jerry's uh, weekend house that he realize that Rupert realizes okay jerry really doesn't like me i'm gonna have to or you know jerry's lied to me i'm gonna make him tell the truth now i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get on the show whether he wants me to or not yeah i'm gonna force the issue it seems like they get away from the fancy sequences as the film goes on where i would think normally you would get more and more of these fantasy sequences as you would go on in a film because you would see the character kind of um, have this descent into madness and that they yeah. get progressively worse. But I think in this film, you can make a strong argument that De Niro's character doesn't change. He's as crazy from the very first frame of this film to the very last frame of this film. You know, he really doesn't have an arc. And when he makes that decision to force his way onto Jerry's show, I, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't buy that transformation because there was no snap that was ever shown. You know, I see. It was just... I, 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 it didn't feel earned enough to me. I mean, I knew it was coming. I mean, you've read the back cover of the movie. You would know what's going yeah. to happen. I just don't see that it was earned enough. Because I've seen this movie you know, probably a dozen times. I, I, I think the snap, 
of where uh, Rupert stopped pretending or De Niro stopped uh, realizing that having the fantasy was when he uh, crashes Jerry's house uh, because he's okay. trying to play up to his this girl that he, you know, dinner is trying to play up to this girl he likes, uh, uh, Diane Abbott, uh, that he's friends with Jerry and Jerry's expecting him. And it's going to be a whole big, you know, Hollywood party out in the, you know, the Hamptons, I'm guessing. Uh, and then when Jerry throws him out, essentially, I think that's when De Niro figures out, okay, this is, I, I'm, I've got to make this decision. Now. I think that's when he changes and goes, but then even, and then this is where we have to get into spoilers of kind of how, how the movie ends. Uh, it can loop back into the fantasy part. I think from everything from the part when I think everything from uh, the when he gets kicked out of Jerry's house at, at, in the beach to when he uh, goes on the Tonight Show, like the end of that scene, everything between that is real, and then the end of it could be interpreted as fantasy again. Okay, yeah, I mean, and that that's kind of the way I was reading it, but I would have liked some sort of connecting scene from after he gets kicked out of Jerry Lewis's weekend house to when he forces his way onto the show. Right. Like, well, this is what if I, he I, was down in his basement just tearing apart his fake stage. It shows like he shows that, his mental that breakdown. That would have helped me. Yeah, I need yeah. something. I don't know if, I mean, this is my supposition that Scorsese didn't want some scene that seemed to be an homage to Taxi Driver, an earlier film that they had done together, and the you talking to me scene. Right. I, I think maybe, you know, they didn't want to put De Niro alone in a room having this inner monologue and, and vocalizing it actually right i, I think I, you know may, maybe that's a long deleted scene that someday will show up on a blue release yeah it could be i i and i, I mentioned this in in with our pre-show note stuff that uh one of the things i i, I like in movies and shows uh and i think it's you know dealing kind of with you know the way just the world works is uh, one of my favorite you know this is a lust word one of, one of my favorite tropes is that when you have uh poorly thought out plans done by people who think they're smarter than everybody else so mm. for example where you know i'm going like like example like dumb and dumber like i'm just going to go meet this girl on the other side of the country no plan and you know, things happen, they run out of gas, they have to sell the car, you know, they don't have, they're going to the mountains, they don't have gloves. So there's that. And so for in this movie, I see that as uh, Rupert, his plan is I'm going to kidnap Jerry and force to go on the show. But then he, he holds him ransom. Jerry knows who he is almost right away. And he's trying to fake it. And he's got him reading cue cards for the ransom note. And the cards are out of order. Then they're upside down. <laughs> then they're blank. So he, it's like, I'm going to kidnap him because, oh, that's what you do. Movies, you kidnap people. But then he doesn't have a way to fully fill it out. And also, yeah, but then the you know, rest of his plan worked so perfect. Like that's true. He, he's not so. this idiot, except for you know these kind of moments that don't really matter. That that's what gets to me because I agree. I, I love the lovable loser who's going about something that's way beyond his abilities, but he's still going to try it anyway. The the Cohen brothers have made an entire career out of having characters do this sort of thing. You know, raising Arizona. Oh brother, where art thou? Right, you know, the list goes on and on. That they've mastered that and getting us to side with this character. Uh, did did, did looked, you want to root for Rupert at that point? You know, when he's fumbling with the cue cards. Not really. I just, I, I just find it as something that's just funny and something that I think I, I read it as something people would do where you know they get it over their head real quick, and I think they just realize it's not going. It's not going to work out. But again, you said it before, Rupert. It does work out for Rupert. Uh, that he does, he gets everything he wants out of that kidnapping. But it's also the thing too, where he wants to be a comedian, 
but he's not willing to do the work. You know, he's not because he doesn't see that part of it. He sees Jerry on on TV and thinks that's it. He doesn't realize you've got to go to open mics. You've got to, you know, go on the road. You've got to do the dive bars. You know, you don't start mm-hmm. off at the top, you know. And like, you know, because one time that one, his sec, uh, Jerry's secretary says, oh, where are you working? He goes, I'm not working right now. She's like, okay, well, call me when you're working and we'll come down and see you. There's a million clubs in New York you can go to, mm-hmm. you know. So. Yeah, and and I agree. That's the way you should do it. But that made me then wonder at the end when he's on the show and he's doing his stand-up, is it any good? I think trying to do stand-up in a movie is incredibly difficult and it's pretty much never been done well. Whatever stand-up they show you just isn't funny and actors really can't do stand-up. It, it, it is an art. Sure, you yeah. can give them the lines. You can give them all the jokes to tell. And a lot of actors, and especially even comedic actors, have a great sense of timing. But they're not stand-up comedians. You know, watching uh, Tom Hanks try and do it. Oh, it's painful. Yeah. So in this, you know, I'm watching him do his stand-up at the end, and I'm going, is it really, is it good? I don't think it's very good, but he's gained laughter. Is this real laughter, or is this, you know, laughter coming from, is this another fantasy sequence? Are, do you think we're supposed to believe that the laughter is real and that this guy is truly funny? I, I think on the show it is because I, I think as a Tonight Show audience, you go in there expecting to have a comedian and you're going to laugh because you're supposed to laugh. So like if he did that in a regular bar or in an open mic setting, he would not have gotten those laughs. Because um, I mean, I, I've tried open mics and all that and they are hard and I'm not going to say I was any good because I wasn't. But there are, there's a difference between getting a laugh that's like you really caught the audience in a laugh or, oh, they're supposed to laugh. You know, if you tell a joke around your parents, they're going to laugh probably because they, you know, they want to encourage you to be funny. You know, that's why when you open mics, you want to bring your friends and family because you want them to laugh so that that'll get the other people laughing. So I think going, when you go to a show and you're going to watch a comedian on, a, on the Tonight Show, you know, it's only five minutes, ten minutes, and so you're going to laugh because you're supposed to. And there might even be applause signs because I know back in the 70s and the 80s especially, you had to run your act uh, through the censor. I think in the movie they make the point that he doesn't, but you got to run it through the censors so they can make sure it's okay that you don't, you know, swear or say anything to upset a sponsor or something. And mm-hmm. so they might even have applause as cute. It's very canned laughter. I know guys like you know Jerry Seinfeld and you know and uh, and other guys talked about being on the Tonight Show was that they uh, with Johnny Carson was that you, it was good to be on there because you got the exposure but you didn't go there to be funny you wanted to make Johnny laugh but you didn't go there to get the audience necessarily uh, you wanted you knew they were going to probably laugh and that you wanted to come back you know use that to pay your road expenses yeah because now you can, uh, yeah, you, can, just... you, can, you can you can say like I'm Jeff Foxworthy from the Tonight Show and that gives you a couple extra you know hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah, I just I when I hear a movie has stand up comedy in it, it makes me because I go they just can't do this. Well. It, it's never going to be fully believed. It, it's kind of like uh, a lot of sports you can't do well. Don't show me figure skating. Don't show me gymnastics because I'm only going to be able to see the person from behind because it's clearly a digital double or you know a stand in if it's an older film. Uh, and I realize while I'm saying this that I kind of liked I Tanya, but they they did a lot of tricks with that to try and get uh, Margot Robbie in there as much as possible. Yeah, and I think there is that. And, it, you know, a lot of times they try to, it, depending on how big the movie is, they try to get people with experience. I know um, uh, in one of the Rescue Me show, Dennis Leary's character, the firefighters, they play hockey a lot. And Dennis Leary's a big hockey player and a hockey fan. So he only wanted guys 
on the show skating who played hockey because he didn't want mm. it. And I, 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 he, I, he brought up some movie. I forget which hockey movie he brought up where he goes, you can tell they're not, it's not the same guys and they're not skating. You know, shot up oh, from like yeah. the waist up. You know, I think, I think you mentioned like Mystery Alaska was one. And he's just like, when I saw that movie, I'm thinking, that's not how you play hockey. Like these guys aren't playing. And so he wanted, he goes, he goes I might be the only guy who cares that it looks like we're playing hockey because we are playing hockey. So. Oh, true. So. I don't know. I, would you still say this is the best pairing between Scorsese and De Niro, given all the other films? Because, I, I mean, I know I wrote to you after I watched the film, and I said, you know, I'd much rather watch De Niro in Goodfellas or Cape Fear, Casino. I'm excited about them pairing together for The Irishman that's coming out on Netflix this fall. Uh, yeah. Make an argument for why I'm wrong that, you know, huh. I... I that apparently I need to go and watch this movie another 11 times to truly understand just how great this film is. I, I, I think I like it because it's not their typical uh, movie together. It's not, um, you know, it takes place in New York, but it's not a mob movie. It's not a gangster movie. Uh, really the only, the raging bull, you can even argue has some mob themes to it because, you know, De Niro takes a dive and the you know, Jake LaMotta takes a dive for the mob. And it's got that seedy thing. This is just very kind of, you know, just regular. The only other one that was kind of different from like this one was New York, New York, which is more a love affair with, you know, Judy Garland movie, you know, Liza Minnelli's in it, but that type of, you know, time period in Hollywood and stuff, very much like a star is born type of a theme. And I think it is something, you know, Scorsese liked that time in Hollywood from the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And so he wanted to do a movie about that. And that one missed. I mean, that one is just too long. It misses some parts to it. Uh, it could really be trimmed down. But I, I, I really, I think I like this one just because it is different. And I thought it was pretty, um, pretty successful in, uh, in being different. It, I don't think, I mean, the box office is a bomb, but I don't think it was atrocious like something else could have been. All right, fair enough. I guess next up we will be doing John Wayne playing Genghis Khan or uh, yeah. <laughs> Gerard Butler playing the Phantom in the Opera. Yeah, well, there you uh, go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I do think maybe this film will get some buzz this fall, and I think this is one of the other reasons why we want to cover this film now, is uh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be in the upcoming Joker film and be playing the Joker, and it seems to be the storyline of um, just one bad day can turn you into a criminal, and the whole idea was that the Joker was a failed comedian who just snapped because of one bad day. So uh, Joaquin Phoenix has even publicly stated that he gets a lot of influences from the movie The King of Comedy. And interestingly, Robert De, Robert De Niro has a part in the new Joker. So there think, seems to I be some synergy the, there. And I think he's a talk show host in it. or He's a TV character in the movie. So there might be something to that as well. Yeah, where, so where he's playing the Jerry Langford part. Maybe I will learn to enjoy the King of Comedy more after uh, I go see there. I think that comes out in October. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, it's more like The Master, which I love Joaquin Phoenix in, and uh, less like Ice, which is horrible. So <laughs> yeah, Joaquin Phoenix can be missed. So that'll be interesting. Um. What else should we say about this film before we go? Do you want to talk about the end real quick, like how the movie ends, and just summarize it for, for the listeners? Sure. I'm fine uh, uh, spoiling so, this after 30-plus uh, years. Yeah. So so what ends up happening is um, De Niro's character uh, kidnaps Jerry with the help of his friend uh, Masha, and they end up uh, 
De Niro connects him so he can go on the on the show. That's the deal. He's going to do his monologue. The show's going to air because this is another big thing with the Tonight Show is that they would film it earlier in the day and then air it at night so they could edit out stuff if there was anything wrong. And so De Niro says, "I'm not. I won't surrender where Jerry is until I see the show is on the air." And when he does, uh, afterwards, he's a bit. He gets arrested you know, by the FBI and all that. He goes to prison, and then he gets out of prison. He uh, releases a best-selling book called King for a Night, or uh, King for a Night, and becomes famous. He gets his own talk show, and that's kind of where it ends. So that's where the deal is. Once the Tonight Show ends and he gets arrested, the argument is: Does he fantasize about the book sales? Because it's shown that part's all shown through montages. And um, that's where I see it too. This is a little bit like a darker version of like a what about Bob where one guy <laughs> kind, of, kind of sees that, you know, Bob is crazy with Bill Murray and only, you know, Dr. Marvin knows that or can recognize that everybody else is kind of just goes along with it. Uh, but he doesn't end up killing Dr. Marvin or kidnapping Dr. Marvin, I should say. Um, so it's just yeah, kind of... I, I think the common way to read into the film is that this is all a fantasy at the end. I think now uh, modern audiences, if I was to show this to uh, one of my film classes, they would probably be like, yep, that's what happens. You get the book deal. You get to have sponsored Instagram posts. Well, yeah, know, it's a this, controversy. This guy would definitely cash. have his own TikTok channel, YouTube. Yeah. And then this is, you know, and when this came out, 83, this is uh, before... Reagan got shot when you had that stalker stalking the uh, guy who killed, you know, stalking the celebrity who tries to, you know, either kill the celebrity or in the case, you know, shot Reagan, uh, which is also influenced by another Scorsese De Niro movie. But it's just kind of, again, this time it's like, you can read it as, oh, this, yeah, the guy, he's, uh, it's controversy creates cash, but this guy did kidnap somebody and hold him against his will. And uh, eh. simpler time. He didn't hurt him. Well, that's what it is, and that was when he, he punches her or whatever at the end when he breaks out and he's running down. And that's the other part when he's running down the Jerry's running down the street and he's seeing De Niro on his TV show. It's like that's my show. Like, what are you doing on my show? So yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I I liked the ending. I didn't love it. Um, yeah, it, it it was what it was. I guess you know we're supposed to go and discuss the film a bunch, and I mean we are doing that now, but. I would not consider this a beer me as, as much as they want us to. I, I think you could discuss this film to a satisfactory level just walking out of the... I don't I think, think so. you need to go get a beer and talk about it for an hour or so. Unfortunately, I can't raise this to the pantheon of moms. Right. And I know, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. I know, uh, you know Scorsese filming it was having some health issues too. So that could have played some part, you know, having exhaustion and he's had some drug abuse issues at different points. So that, I mean, again, that's a, a kind of excusing it, but it could be why some things weren't sewn up well because he just wasn't mentally there to, you know, to plug those holes in there. Like the work, when did De Niro, those scenes like, where did De Niro snap? I mean, this is the first movie they did together since Raging Bull. And I think he had done, because that, that came out in 1980. And I think there was like, he did one or two more movies in that time, in like two or three years. where, And he, you know, he wasn't a healthy person to begin with before he got involved in you know, some extracurricular activities. Um, so I think, I think he took a break after this too for a couple of years just to kind of recoup stuff. Yeah, both uh, Scorsese and De Niro really uh, pulled back on how many films they were there for a good chunk of the uh 1980s yeah so. so de niro you know hurt himself doing raging bull by putting on all the weight you know he got in shape and then he put on the you know 50 pounds or whatever and i know he slowly lost it uh so that he didn't crash it but you know that's that plays havoc with your body too 
Oh, true, true. All right, man. Well, I think uh, we have fully reviewed this film. Uh, people should definitely write into the show. Uh, John Anderson here in a second. We'll give you all the details for how to do that. Let us know if uh, we got it completely wrong with the King of Comedy. And also uh, send in your suggestions for what other classic films that we need to review on the show. So uh, any idea what we should be doing for our next show, Tony? And I, and I picked the King of Comedy So as far as this one. So you know, I'm comfortable if you want to pick the next one. Okay, I'll look through. I've got some classics. Um, I know uh, our announcer, John Anderson, he recommended The Hill to me, and that was one of my favorite films I watched over the summer. It's a 1960s Sean Connery film. It's uh, Cool Hand Luke meets Lawrence of Arabia, and it definitely gives uh, Cool Hand Luke a run for its money for sweatiest film. (laughs) But uh, that that was a very enjoyable film to watch, so uh, maybe we'll do that. And uh, hopefully we'll also try and get uh, Richard Lusk back on the show here soon. Uh, we do miss hearing his dulcet tones. So, um, I guess that brings us to the close. So all I have to say is, uh, there be dragons. Memento Mori. What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinemasitdown. Um, I think there's part of it maybe would help the attraction is the idea of being... Uh, I, I'm, I was born in Virginia, but my family's from New York, and my parents lived in the city for a couple, t- uh, you know, years at a time. And uh, I think that helps a lot, especially uh, with De Niro and Scorsese stuff, because everything they do takes place in or around New York to some extent. Or even like Casino, which takes place in Vegas, is heavily New York influenced. Uh, but the idea of walking down the street and seeing a celebrity walking down did happen. I know my my dad says one time he's waiting for my mom to get off of work. Uh, she worked at a bank in the city, and. Uh, Andy Warhol was walking down the street. He's surrounded by people, and that's mm-hmm. something you get in. You got something you got in New York. I know my grandmother used to work at a hotel, the Waldorf Astoria, and met Elizabeth Taylor. And they actually happened to be, I think, the exact same age. I don't know if they had the same birthday, but they were the same year. And it was something like that's just the way it was uh, in New York. And like you don't get that here, obviously in Virginia, because you know you don't see the celebrities walking around. And like L.A., because you drive everywhere, there's no you don't walk in L.A. So it's kind of a very New York thing to have celebrities walking down the street because you walk in New York. Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production.